Hey, Matt. Uh, gonna be last episode with the two of us for a while. Three weeks. A, three, three weeks. I'm going on a trip. Then you're going on a trip. So you're gonna have to hold down the show. I don't know. Maybe find some guests to bring on the coming weeks. I'm sure Logan wouldn't mind talking some ball again. Maybe ask him. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, gonna be uh about a month till we're gonna record an episode together. So. Let's make it a good one. Uh, end it on a good note for now. No NFL news because, I mean, everything's pretty much situated as of now. We're just waiting on, uh, you know, training camp and stuff like that to start. So let's go straight to basketball. Okay, so where should we start? Let's start with today's game or, you know, Lakers play today. So let's get to that series first. There's a game today, game four, but we hadn't touched on games two or three since the last podcast. So let's go straight. Uh, we'll go in order, starting with game two. So game two, I believe Kavon Looney was feeling a little bit under the weather or he was ill, something like that. So Draymond Green went back to the starting lineup. And, you know, that adjustment, along with some of the other stuff, I think the Warriors did defensively um you know they kind of played that zone defense in that game too and it worked i guess um but let's see matt let's go back to the question was it the warriors defense or was it a lack of aggressiveness from anthony davis right because he had what 11 points i believe that game and what 11 was, points what seven was, rebounds too Seven rebounds. I mean, you can't be having that if Kavon Looney, especially, is not going to play, right? He needs to be a beast at all times. Like, that that was my key point, right, throughout the whole series. I need him to show up every single game. We can't ha be having games where either he's not in it or he's not aggressive or, you know, he's not controlling the painted area. Just can't have it because for us to have a chance and – you know, not to look forward necessarily, but even if we do uh, continue on from this series, it only gets harder and harder from here. So, you know, he really, we really can't be having these every, this every other Anthony Davis show up type of, type of game. So 11 points in that game too. Uh, it was close until, you know, Golden State kind of exploded. They started hitting their threes and that was pretty much all it wrote, all she wrote. They took out the starters early let guys get some rest 1-1. One, one. But the key thing I thought from those first two games was we already stole game one, like you said. So congrats. You, you had the prediction, it. right? You, I you said I would post it, it too, and it was posted. Yep, yep. You called it. Um, You got that prediction right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I thought getting one game out of those two was huge. So it it was going to be greedy wanting, you know, 2-0 <laughs> leaving Golden State. But I'm glad we, we got the win there. Um, I don't know, Matt. Did you have any notes from that, that game two? I think game two, if you look at it from the Warriors' perspective, they found something, I think, because uh, I guess it kind of took place with Looney. So Kevon Looney's in it, 
I believe he's ill. So they took him out of the starting lineup. They insert Jamichael Green. And he had a big game. I think he had like 15 points, was hitting the open threes. But I noticed they had Anthony Davis guarding him. And every shot Jamichael Green took, it was uncontested. They were basically daring him to shoot it. And to his credit, he knocked it down. And that's something that the Lakers have def. I think they've adjusted. There's still lapses, you know, over the course of the games that have been played from there that you see, you know, guys are wide open, you know, other than really Curry and Clay getting uncontested three point looks. I still think at times you got to live with it, but to do it often, that's not a, a, a recipe for success. And in game two, it was a lot of that too. And, you know, I will say for the Lakers perspective, they they just couldn't figure out, to your credit, the zone. And they moved Draymond Green onto Anthony Davis and he struggled. Um, Draymond is a very tenacious defender. Obviously, he's a defensive player the year before, all NBA caliber defensive guy. So he knows what he's doing. And he was being very physical with AD. And I thought he was pushing AD out of the paint. Like if you notice where AD was catching the ball in game one, deep in the paint, was able to get anything he wants against Looney. But in game two, it was a lot of catching it at the elbow. Oh, he's catching it at the top of the key, and then he's going to have to make a dribble move. Like, that's not what you want AD doing. You want AD living in the paint and just consuming everything. Whether it's, you know, paint touches, rebounds, that's what you want AD to live in the paint. And he was not. So great job by Golden State and Steve Kerr adjusting to that in game two. But I thought the key and, you know, as games three and four kind of played out, you know, with the blowout, you get a chance to empty your bench, see what you have in some guys, maybe to steal some minutes. And, you know, maybe in about five minutes from now, we'll talk about a guy on the Lakers that kind of, you know, took advantage of, of garbage time. So it was a kind of a win for the Lakers if you see it, you know, two games from now that they found the secret weapon, or I should say rediscovered a secret weapon that they had on the bench and really implemented him going forward. So I think that was huge for the Lakers in game two. But yeah, you don't want to be too greedy, but they did what they had to do. They got a split and they go back home and you got to defend home court. So at the end of the day, they did what they had to do, even in a game two demolition by the Warriors. Yeah, so um sorry I got a little distracted there, but game so game three, all right, move on to that game. I thought you know, I figured AD was gonna come out firing, right? Um and that's exactly what he did. He was aggressive, we needed it first game in on home court. Um, but Delo, Delo got hot early on and we kind of just carried that lead right we carried that that's your guy that was he's he's been he was your key to the series for the lakers having success and i i don't know in that game three it just seemed like uh they had figured out how to kind of contain steph a little bit so that game two right uh anthony davis you know they were they were putting anthony davis in the pick and roll 
because I think they wanted to bring him out of the paint, and that's what it yeah. kind of sounded like, mm-hmm. right? That they they were talking about they they want to run AD in the pick and roll, the high pick and roll, um, so that he's forced to come out to the perimeter, right? So that game two, he didn't want to leave the paint. He still wanted to protect. He started. He was dropping everything on Steph, and you know that's when Steph was just bombing. Game three, I thought they they did a pretty good adjustment. Uh, the Lakers at least where, you know, AD was coming out on the screen, but he wasn't just immediately dropping off the switch. He would he would stay, uh, either to contest the shot or you know kind of wait long enough to to switch back, uh, and have someone up in Steph's face. So I thought that was a really good adjustment by the Lakers. And, you know, still once again, like it was kind of just great overall team defense in, in that uh, game three, right. You know, held the Lakers to under a hundred points. And uh, if you can do that in the playoffs, I think uh, we'll be pretty good, you know, moving Especially forward. to a Warriors team. You yeah. hold the Warriors to under 100? Mm-hmm. That's saying something. Yep. So, I mean, we – it it was kind of a mix, though, because I thought Golden State early had a couple good looks. They just couldn't, you know, really knock down their threes. I, let me check. They went um 13 of 44 from threes, so under 30%. You do that against a team that shoots as many threes as they do. Uh, I mean, you're going to have some success there, and – you know, held Steph and Clay in check too. Only fifteen points in that game three. I thought that was a big one. And you know, Lakers were able to kind of ride out that momentum and let some other guys get some big minutes. Like you have here, Lonnie Walker played in that game three. He had a pretty good game. Um, late. I mean, kind of the subs were out anyway, right? But uh, I think he showed a little bit of something. And Lonnie Walker. Um, well, we'll get to him uh, right now. So, game four, right? Now it's the Lonnie Walker game uh, because, I mean, absolutely took over down the stretch there. But, you know, starting off the game, I thought Golden State was running a really unselfish style of basketball. I think they – so, it, this is going to be like – it's almost like Darvin Ham slash LeBron against Steve Kerr. And his coaching staff, right? Like, how are and they going to attack? Right, the chess peaches. Mm-hmm. How are they going to attack what the Lakers threw at them in Game Three? Right. So now AD comes, is switching, and staying on Steph high. So Steph stopped looking to score off the that high pick and roll. Er, so early, he's getting the ball out to guys like Gary Payton. Uh, he found you know Divincenzo a couple times for easy buckets. So I thought that was a really good adjustment because the Lakers didn't weren't able to pick up on that early. And, you know, that's why Steph had, what, seven assists or something in the first quarter alone. So I thought, you know, that was a really good uh, adjustment from the Warriors side. But, you know, at the same time, uh, the Lakers, we were keeping pace. I thought, you know, once again, uh, early on, AD was aggressive which is what he needed to be he was taking advantage of his size and really he was um kind of bailing us out on a couple of those possessions because you know d'angelo was just cold early uh it was kind of him and lebron he was cold the whole game (laughs) okay well cold the whole game yeah uh yeah cold the whole game 
so he was really important, I think, for keeping us, you know, close in that first half. So it was like like you had texted me during the game. It already had a feel by what halftime that oh man, neither team is gonna run away. Both sides have made adjustments. They kind of know what, you know, by now it's game four, right? We kind of know how the offenses are gonna run, how the defenses are gonna adjust. Now it just comes down to who's gonna knock down the shots, right? Who's gonna knock down the shots, who's gonna take care of the basketball, and um, who's gonna take advantage of you know their moment and it was a close second half Lakers went on or the Warriors excuse me went on a run early in that third quarter I was like oh man you know they stretched it all the way to 10 uh what in the middle of the third quarter Warriors right there yep and so I I got nervous um luckily though we were able to get hot you know in the second half of the third quarter cut the lead back down and then uh you know the fourth quarter was the Lonnie Walker experience, 15 points in the fourth quarter alone, right? He scored all, all his points in the fourth quarter down the stretch. But let's let's get into that, you know, fourth quarter, because I thought it was probably the most decisive fourth quarter, uh, other than you could say maybe game one, right? But this one, I it was kind of each team was just trading haymakers. Like no one really pulled away until the very end. And so, first of all, the Lonnie Walker uh, play by Darvin Ham. So, obviously, I like Rui, right? But I don't think this series, you know, provides a lot of good matches for him defensively because um, he can stay with a lot of bigs, right? I, I think he's big enough and he moves well. But against a team like Golden State with Jordan Poole, Steph, uh, you know, even they got all guards on the yeah, floor. Di Vincenzo, they're they're just quicker than Rui laterally, right? So I think it's harder for him uh, on the defensive side if Draymond is going to be matched up with Anthony Davis, and you know LeBron is going to be matched up with say Wiggins if, if he's out on the court, right? That kind of leaves Rui in a tough spot. I've said you know Schroeder and Vanderbilt are kind of the you know even Austin Reeves at times are going to be the Steph guys. Uh, so we really needed someone else like to match, you know, clay uh, Jordan Poole, guys like that. And so I early in the playoffs, we were rolling with Malik Beasley and Troy Brown, but they just, you know, they do play hard defensively. I Like I don't knock their effort at all. Right. But it's just offensively. Sometimes it was tough. Because they're out there to shoot threes. And when it's your job to hit threes on offense and you're not doing that, uh, kind of stifles the offense a little bit, right? But I was really high on Lonnie Walker earlier in the year. I thought, you know, it was good to see him play um, in that game three because it kind of showed his athleticism. Because that's the thing about Lonnie Walker. He's like one of those guys. Um, He's just a like freak a, athlete. Like a Zach yeah. Levine. Like, really, um, if we're talking how he moves on the basketball court, like, he reminds me of Zach Levine. Like, easy, like, he jumps so effortlessly. He can move so effortlessly. Um, you know, just a natural, pure natural athlete, right? We all know the viral clip of him in when he was in San Antonio, right? He goes up for the dunk. And he tries to lay it up or whatever. But, like, he was a he's a flyer. That's what he is. Um and he's practiced and 
refined his offensive game. And we really saw that, you know, down the stretch because the Lakers game plan down the stretch, and I think it is and will be the game plan moving forward, is whoever has Steph, right? We're going to attack Steph in the pick and roll, no matter who's on him. And so, you know, they tried to hide Steph against Lonnie Walker and he just took advantage of it, right? He's hitting runners. He's hitting pull-ups, mid-range. He was really doing it all. And, you know, his shot, it, it, he has a nice looking jump shot too now. I don't know if it was always like that in San Antonio. I'm not sure. No. But, <laughs> but I mean, his, that his was a development. His jump shot, it looks effortless now. And, you know, he hit bit the big shots when it counted. He had free throws. And, you know, that, I mean, ultimately he was the difference because he scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. He was the one that kind of took over that game late. We also got contributions from Austin Reeves here and there. Right. He also had a pretty a really good game as well. But um yeah, I think he is like the eighth man. I think the Lakers and the coaching staff had been looking for that eighth guy uh, that they could really rely on, you know, to play. So I think Lonnie has definitely solidified himself in that role. I would expect to see a lot of Lonnie Walker moving forward in this series and hopefully the next series that you know we we do move on. And yeah, I'm just I'm excited because uh, I, I liked what I saw out of Lonnie. And I don't know. I think uh, I think he's going to be big for us moving forward. Oh, yeah, for sure. So shout, shout out to the San Antonio Spurs for contributing to this uh, play ro- playoff run. <laughs> My ex-favorite team, I guess, in the NBA. No longer, but at least there was some m- moment for the Spurs. But, you know, you talked about Lonnie Walker, obviously, he was the main story of this game, but I'm still going to talk about, from my perspective, Anthony Davis and LeBron. So I'll start with AD. So obviously game four is an even number game. There's been some kind of graph showing AD's trend that just goes up and down and up and down. And it seems like in the odd number games, he plays really well. And in the even number games, he decides to take the night off. Well, I would say, I don't know how you feel, but I would say for game four, I like the effort. I, I, I thought the effort was there. Really, that's that's all you want from AD. You just want him to be engaged, moving around the court, and really impacting the game. And especially in the first half, he he doesn't play well like that. You guys get blown out of the window or blown out of the crib. He kept you in the game. He was aggressive getting the ball in the paint, which was really good. But, you know, he finished with 19 points, I think, at the half. And then the second half was a little different. Had four points, but he took four shots. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, but AD, you know, he has to be more aggressive. He needs to demand the ball. But the way that I looked at it was, that was more the transition to LeBron in a way. So kind of this series, it see it seems like LeBron is really picking and choosing when he wants to take over, demand the offense through him. And game three, right? He didn't take a shot for the whole first quarter. I don't think you're ever going to see that ever again. But, you know, second half of this game, I saw a lot of LeBron really initiating the offense, especially, especially late in the fourth quarter. You could really see LeBron 
picking the matchups, especially with Steph Curry. And I was telling myself, you know, screaming at the TV, take him. You get the switch, like take Steph Curry in the post. And there was times where I thought LeBron was a little too passive and it was a little frustrating. But that's my argument for AD not getting a lot of shots. LeBron said, my turn. You did your job. You kept us in the game in the first half when, you know, we were kind of all a little sluggish. But guys like Austin Reeves finally had a good game in this series. He was huge. Obviously, Lonnie Walker. And then LeBron in the fourth. So AD did what he had to do. And down the stretch, I even texted you this. AD made, you could say, the play of the game. The stop on Steph. I should say two stops on Steph on that last possession. Almost Kevin Love-esque of the 2016 finals. Steph Curry versus a big one-on-one. You know exactly what he wants to do. He's going to he's gonna shoot the three. He's going to dance. He's going to get you to bite, and he's going to shoot the three. Now, Steph, the first time, AD, you know, kind of got on his heels a little bit, but he's got that huge wingspan, so he can contest a shot even when he's beat. And he did that. Draymond gets the rebound. First off, I don't know why Draymond didn't look at the rim because he had Schroeder on him. He literally just could have just laid it right up. But Draymond just gets it right back out to Steph. And then it's another Kevin Love defensive shutdown on Steph in a way. So Anthony Davis, I I commend, you know, the defensive intensity in that game because he he showed why he can guard one through five in the game. So I commend AD. It was a 23-point game, but I, I felt his presence there, especially in the first half. So it was good for him to show up. And, you know, LeBron, on the other hand, I know he's 38 years old, but to me, he's the GOAT. And I still expect him to do GOAT things. And there are times in the game where it still frustrates me because LeBron is just a physical specimen. And when he has guys on him that are smaller than him, I'm telling myself, LeBron, I know you're tired. I know you're old. I get it. But I'm not saying to, you know, drive the basketball every time. But got to work in the post more. I, I, I think that's how aging superstars really elevate their game late in their career. Look at Kobe. You look at Michael Jordan. Relied on athleticism early on. And then as they got older, they developed that post game. But LeBron is a little different because he has the size. So I want to see LeBron going more in the post. And I thought, you know, when he was aggressive in the post, it's like, it's still unstoppable. Nobody can, nobody can guard him without fouling. In the, in the beginning of the game, he had a little nice sky hook. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it was that. pretty sweet. Yeah. I thought, whoa, I didn't see that one, but it was very definitive. Like he knew he was going to get to the basket and score. So LeBron really just needs to work more in the post because the three-point shot, it's not there. Nine threes is, is he's, a lot. He's got to, yeah. And I, I'm i not saying he needs to shoot zero threes because you're still, you know, you need the three-point shot to respect the defense. And he, he has to shoot that. But to shoot two for nine and pass up, to me, a lot of opportunities in the paint is what's a little frustrating to me. I still want to see LeBron be a little more aggressive, but he did enough. He made the free throws 
down the stretch, which was huge. So I know Skip Bayless can't grill him on that because he went to the line and he knocked him down with confidence. So, yeah, I, I think this was a very, very good game, especially for AD. But LeBron, I'm still kind of waiting to see that vintage LeBron moment. So I don't know, maybe game five, game six, if it goes that far. I hope to see LeBron put a stamp on this on this series going forward. All right. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's looking good for us. Honestly, it's going to be tough to win game five. At, You're going to be desperate. You know, so, yeah, you got to match their intensity. At Golden State. I think we can get it off, but I don't know. I think we're due for a Clay or Steph nuclear explosion. Um, just hitting ridiculous ridiculous shots so i think lakers in six i'm hoping uh that happens and i don't know i, I think it's doable and I, I think we we go on to the western conference finals um who they will be facing i don't know so let's move on <laughs> move on to that i still am gonna stick with phoenix uh in that series because of what we have seen the past uh really two games right so Denver jumps out to the 2-0 lead. But, you know, Phoenix on their home court battled back due to in part of one Mr. Devin Booker, who is going absolutely nuclear in these playoffs. Um, I mean, he's just shooting it at a ridiculous clip. He has everything going for him right now. Like, he looks, the past two games, you know, he really looks like he has total command of the offense without Chris Paul playing, mind you. Um you know, that's what I was worried about, right? I, I talked about last week, you know, no Chris Paul. How how are we going to get everyone facilitated? How are we going to get guys involved? Uh, you know, Devin Booker said, you know what? I'll do you one better. I'll be an even better point slash combo, whatever shooting guard than Chris Paul. And I'll handle and run the offense uh, every time. And lo and behold, it's been working for them. You know, we still... Okay, well, Kevin Durant had 36 last game, but it's it's crazy to think like, oh, 36 from Kevin Durant, that's not a crazy explosion, right? Uh, it wasn't as efficient in some of the games, that's why. But yeah. this last game, he was. Yeah, so he got to the line a lot, right? I think uh, they, they were doing a better job of that. But really, I mean, Devin Booker has just been playing out of his mind. It just, I mean, really the whole playoffs, you know, everyone was giving him a little bit of trouble. Oh, it's the... You know, who are you who are you really playing? Like you're playing um you're playing the Clippers who are all banged up, right? So um I mean not not really any, ex any excuses now. This is a fully loaded Denver roster who is, you know, has guys like KCP, has guys like Aaron Gordon that are can play really good perimeter defense. And Devin Booker's just getting to his spots with ease and you know, he looks like the best player, I would offensive player in the playoffs right now. Uh, that's even including playoff Jimmy, who can be borderline unstoppable. But offensively, I don't know, Matt. Right now, Devin Booker looks just insane. Um, and his emergence has finally helped open up that offense, I think. Um, so in those first two games, I thought they did a good job, right? Shutting down Kevin Durant. But you know, Landry Shamit in that game four had a really big fourth quarter because they have to double book now. And you can't double book and leave KD alone, right? So someone's going to be the open man. 
think that was a good adjustment by um is it monty williams monty williams yeah yeah i thought monty williams did a good adjustment by putting more shooters on the floor kind of giving space uh for that offense and you know i thought that was kind of a big um you know that was a big adjustment for them because they still can't stop Jokic uh, on the other side so you're gonna have to outshoot this denver team at this point right and but I, I don't know. I thought that was a really, really good adjustment. It's going to be interesting to see how Denver reacts now. Mike Malone on the other side. But, yeah, Devin Booker, man. I mean, not much else to say for Phoenix um, other than, uh, yeah, Devin Booker is just going insane. And, uh, I mean, I got to say on the other hand, though, Jokic, what, had 51 <laughs> in a losing effort? <laughs> like, you do you, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw the Jokic-Murray high pick and roll. Uh, against yeah, Portland, against the Blazers, <laughs> against Portland, that absolutely would shred us every single time. And to this day, they're still doing it, and it's still one of the best two-man games in the league. Um, you know, other than maybe the Devin Booker, Kevin Durant two-man game right now, um, that thing is just absolutely unstoppable. Like late in games, I don't know how you defend it because they have such good synergy as well. You know, it's just unreal. But I don't know, Matt. I think the series is going seven. I, I really do. And uh, something still tells me, though, with how Devin Booker is playing, I think he stalled enough for KD to get his rhythm back. And, you know, I think Devin Booker is due for one off game. He's going to have one bad game the rest of the the rest of the series. Uh, and that's the game that KD is going to step up and, and kind of carry them. So I'm going to go Phoenix and seven the rest of the series, sticking with my pick. Uh, but. It's really just I think they figured out their offense, and I don't know how Denver's going to adjust. I don't, I don't think there is an answer unless they just both have an off night, which I don't think is going to happen. Well, let me let me go back a little bit. So I'll talk about this. I just thought of this. That's why. So you mentioned the Blazers series, and how do we defend the high pick and roll? In that, I'll take a bit trip down memory lane. You, you we we couldn't. We couldn't guard the high pick and roll because, and I would say this for any team, if you have an unathletic center, you're you're screwed. I don't care how good your your guard is at defense, you cannot guard that high pick and roll without an athletic center. Portland does not have an athletic center. I'll say that. That's why we got killed, and they got whatever they wanted. On the other hand, we take it to this series. I would say DeAndre Ayton is a little more mobile, skilled, athletically gifted than the guy we had, or I should say we still have, unfortunately, in Yusuf Nurkic. Now, the thing with Aiton has always been his effort. And I really am starting to see it more and more in this series that he really, it's like a worse AD in a way. <laughs> like It's pretty bad. So there's a, I don't know if you, you probably saw this, right? The viral clip of Jokic kind of tipping the ball to himself. Katie's trying to grapple it. And Aiton's just standing underneath the basket saying, Watching what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? Get your butt in the paint and play defense. <laughs> You're 7-1. Jokic, it's not like Jokic is an athletic, you know, big who's going to poster you and jump. Well, he, is, no. he is strong though. He's I think strong. we've seen that. He Aiton cannot like... He cannot stop Jokic from from uh, backing down in the post. So yeah, that, yeah. That's I don't one think thing. 
That's the one thing I'll say. I don't think you can yeah, you can't do that. But Aiton is long to me. He's seven one, he's long. You're telling me he can't contest shots better? Now I think yeah, you don't stop Murray and Jokic in the pick and roll, but I still think you you can at least contest the shot. And if they make it, well, you just live with it. And I I truly don't see like a strong contest from Eaton, whether he gets switched out onto Jamal or he stays on Jokic. It's just, it's almost too easy for Jokic. Now, Monty Williams, I think you gotta, you, you just gotta get the ball out of hands out of Jokic. Don't let him go one-on-one. He kind of fell for it in the finals when they played the Bucks and they put Aiton on Giannis one-on-one and just said, try stop Giannis. You just gotta stop him one-on-one. That's just the recipe for disaster, as we saw. So if I'm Phoenix, I'm definitely double-teaming Jokic. And if guys like KCP, even Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, if they if they hit the shots, well, that so be it. <laughs> That's just how it's got to be. But Jokic, is, is you got to make him uncomfortable. You got to make him more uncomfortable and contest shots in the pick and roll. But... You know, from Denver's perspective, it's, it's I would say, scary in the sense where it seems like Phoenix is playing faster now. Like, they're running and gunning with Booker. Shamit's getting a little more playing time, so obviously he stretches the floor a little bit. But I don't know, man. I can't, am I crazy to say that the CP3 injury is helping the Suns right now? In this series, maybe one because of those blessings in disguise. With Chris Paul as a Hall of Fame point guard, but he is on the older side, and he's not the guy anymore that's gonna play with pace and run and gun. He wants to slow you down, play in the half court. He's gonna orchestrate the offense, and he's very good at that. But you know, if you run with pace, I think that's an advantage for Phoenix because Jokic is not he's that's his weakness. He's not a quick lateral guy. You just keep him running back, back and forth. He's going to wear out. And you saw that we can take a trip down, down memory lane again with the Blazers. That four overtime game, Jokic ran out of gas because Dame and CJ were just, yeah, but tired legs. Tired legs. That, that's how you get fatigue. Dame and CJ were just running up and down the court. Rodney Hood was jacking up threes in transition. Like they're just running. And I think I see a little more pace with Phoenix. So I think it was a little blessing in disguise. I think Chris Paul is out for game five. So to be honest, I I think Phoenix could win this game or win this series in six. I think they found something a little bit. If Booker keeps this up, I think they're going to (laughs) win. I really do. Because KD is finding his groove now. and, And, you know, if he does that, then there's no stopping him. No one can guard him. So I don't know. I I think Phoenix has found something a little bit thanks to an injury, which is unfortunate, but yeah, no, I think, maybe, I think it'll I think be Phoenix is fine. They're finding their stroke. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting when Chris Paul does come back to see if he is going to be willing to continue to let Devin Booker kind of run and orchestrate the offense because i mean campaign is in right but he's not running the offense right right yeah so 
I don't know. It, it'll definitely be interesting because the offense seems like it's flowing a lot better than it did those first two games. And, you know, is Chris Paul going to be willing to kind of say, all right, let's go, Devin. You, you're the guy now. You, you run the point. I'll be off ball, which, I mean, we've never seen Chris Paul play off the ball before in his entire career. Um, but is he going to be willing to just be a guy that, you know, kind of sits in a corner or on the wing and, and hits a big three every, every now and then? Uh, I think that would be really interesting to see. But I don't know. I, I, I still like Phoenix. Like like you said, you, you have them in six. I'll take them in seven. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping we get to see uh, KD versus LeBron, you know, Western Conference Finals. I'll be watching it from Japan. So, It'll be fun. Um, yeah. Hey, then that'll be our two teams that we said in the West because me, you, and Logan are all out in the East. So it's the battle of the West teams for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and either you or Logan, one of you guys are going down. So at least the Lakers are kind of holding their own right now. So hopefully I'm in good spirits in next week's recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe you can talk to Logan about that next week since I'll be gone. But you know what? Why don't we uh, take a break here um, really fast? Yeah, we'll get to a break uh, right now. And, you know, when we get back, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference series. So stick around. <laughs> Okay, so let's get to the other side, the Eastern Conference. You know, both these series also, we got one at 2-2, one at 3-1. Let's get to the 2-2 series first. So Celtics and 76ers, kind of been a back and forth contest the whole way. I think a lot more evenly matched than some people. Some people were really high on Boston in this series, Uh, kind of thought they would kind of run away with it, but you know, uh, to the Sixers' credit, they are battling back and kind of due to James Harden. Who would have thought? Uh, but let, let's get to the let, – let's go in order of the games first. So game two, uh, after Philadelphia steals game one off the first James Harden game, uh, Embiid comes back. But, you know, Boston, um, to their credit, took him away, did not – let him be a factor at all in that game and you know really shut him down i don't know maybe he came back too early that that's a question um i think only the sixers really know were they forcing him a little bit to come back but regardless you know celtics did a good job got that that game to win and was really able to uh you know capitalize on maybe a bit, little bit nicked up joel Embiid there i'll say so he was definitely a little rusty he hasn't been on the court for a few weeks so Mm -hmm. he was not in basketball condition seeing him run up and down the floor yep um and then you know that game three uh boston kind of took over you know we didn't get to see a whole lot of offense from the sixers once again james harden kind of you know he for the we're talking about the guys that have been up and down. James Harden, after that huge game one, game two and three, um, kind of quiet. You know, Joel Joel poured in thirty of his own, but uh, didn't get a lot of help 
even Tyrese Maxey, who I'm pretty high on. You know, I think we're both pretty high on him as a player. Uh, we saw him kind of taking steps this year, only had 13 points in that game three. So not a lot of help for for Joel um, on that side. Well, on the flip side, you know, the Tatum-Brown duel, it's just pretty killer. Um, if both those guys are going strong, you know, good luck, uh, especially if, you know, all their role players are great. Al Horford, Marcus Smart, uh, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon. That, I mean, that's a solid, solid team right there. So um, Al Horford obviously holding it down as best as he can against Joel Embiid. But, you know, Joel's going to get his points when he's healthy. So I don't know. That game three to me was kind of a lack of support from the rest of the Sixers, um, not including Joel Embiid. But, you know, game four, I, I thought was a must win. And this was a great game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we got an overtime game in the playoffs. Those are always really fun to see, right? So we'll get to that game four. That turned into the James Harden game. That turned into the most clutch James Harden game, actually, that I've seen him go out and have, especially in the playoffs. Um, because, you know, down the stretch for every punch that Boston would throw, James Harden had a counter for it uh, right to the very end. I mean, ended with 42 points. Um, almost a triple double. I mean, if we're being honest, he he kind of took over the game for the Sixers, uh, there late, and he hit the big the big uh shot in the corner to uh, you know, win them the game. So, to me, this is what I think the rest of the series is gonna look like. Now both sides have kind of figured out how they're gonna play offensively, and so I don't know, Matt. I think uh. I think this one's gonna go seven now. Uh, I'm I'm kind of interested to see think so how too. it goes from here. But you know, Jason Tatum kind of had an off game for a little bit. Um, picked it up towards the end. Couple interesting calls I thought in this one with how they were calling the game. You know, Doc was really upset by the non call on Jason Tatum's kind of forearm push off. That was a foul. I also foul, agree. Clearly. I agree. Um, definitely an offensive foul, especially how the game was being played, you know, up until that or officiated, I should say, you know, they were called, they were blowing the whistle. They were definitely, uh, calling a decent amount of fouls in that game. And so when I saw that, it's funny because, you know, I hate to reward flopping. I like, I really do. And I applaud Tyrese Maxey for not flopping in that situation. You know, like playing defense, not risking not getting the call, I guess. Not risk, yeah. Not risking, you know, not getting the offensive foul call uh, after the shove, trying to scramble and get back to contest the shot. But it, it's like flopping makes it to where you almost have to in those types of situations, right? Because you're not going to recover in time. And so... I don't know. Uh, to me, that that's why it should be called a foul, because if not, you're just gonna incentivize guys to go be draw all dramatic, sell calls, um, and as we saw in the other other Eastern Conference series, right when Josh Hart kind of did a little flop, that you know led to Jimmy turning his ankle. So if we're, I don't want to see flopping be rewarded. So I think in order to do that, guys play, right, J similar to how Tyrese Maxey did. And, 
you know, blow the whistle because <laughs> it was a foul. It just didn't look like it because for once someone didn't flop like to the floor after a little forearm shiver to the chest, right? Yeah, like so, Marcus Smart, he's the king exactly, of flopping, I think. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he and he had a great one in that last game too. Um, I remember like when he sets screens and stuff. So he's just so good at that. Um, I don't, I don't really like to see that, but uh, yeah, you know, Jason Tatum, I thought had the chances there, wanted the ball at the end, just couldn't quite answer and hit the big shot. Um, but yeah, James Harden, I don't know, Matt, I slowly but surely if he starts keeping this up a little bit he can really change the whole narrative of what we think and know as James Harden as a playoff performer and you know it was easy for the Sixers to quit in this game but you know props to guys like James Harden but also PJ Tucker had um I think has been huge for the Sixers you know giving them that almost Draymond-esque vibe of the bulldog right? The defensive bulldog that's going to give you everything he has. But he's also proven himself to be a leader, I think, a vocal leader for this team. Uh, You saw him telling Joel Embiid to stay aggressive early. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. It's so key, right? Like, your guy is Jay Crowder. You know, a guy like that that has that veteran presence. Um, He he didn't play at all in that Milwaukee series, right? So, you know, guys like that that can play and give you tough minutes are are huge um pj had the great hustle play helped them you know win that game so i don't know i i think i was pretty heavy on the celtics winning this one but i don't know anymore because i think it's going to be evenly matched the rest of the way i might be leaning sixers in seven um i i, th- I think i can see that happening now uh thanks to mr james harden so who would have thought but you should have stuck with the original pick i know i really should have <laughs> I got, I was soft, folded. <laughs> it's okay. I folded on the Warriors. So hopefully they don't do something crazy and then I'm going to look kind of dumb. But we'll cross our fingers that that doesn't happen. But anyway, for this series, for me, I, I look at it as, you know, Joel Embiid is not healthy at all. You can, you can tell. And, that means James Harden has to be the guy. I think you have to run the offense through him. I'm not saying turn into the Houston Rockets of 2018 and just play high pick and roll with Embiid and uh, Harden and just jack up 53s a game or Harden shooting 40 times a game. No, I don't think that's how you play. But I think Harden should be the guy definitely being the first option on offense with the injured Joel Embiid. And in game four, I thought it was pretty interesting that late in the fourth, they were trying to go to Embiid, kind of almost force-feeding him the ball. But credit to Al Horford. He, you know, for an old dude going up against the MVP of the league, he was holding his own. And he was he was under Joel's skin a little bit. And that brings you to your point that you said about P.J. Tucker like a veteran guy. He's not going to score a lot, but he plays tough defense. He'll make timely corner threes when he needs to. But he got over and was in Joel's face. And I don't know how many guys would have the balls to do that. To the, You're basically telling the MVP, 
get your head in the game and be yourself. Like you need to be better. Like who who does that? Who tells the MVP of the league to be better and get your head in the game? PJ Tucker deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think he has a lot of respect in that locker room. So for him to kind of snap Joel out of that funk that he was in mid fourth quarter was huge because Joel did make a couple big baskets late in the game and some free throws. So they wouldn't have won that without him kind of snapping out of that. So a total team effort there, but James Harden, (laughs) I think I would say if he wins this series, we probably should change the narrative on James because of the circumstance of the team. It's not like Joel is going to be the the sidekick in this series. If they're going to win this series, I think James has to be the first option scorer. He's going to have to be the dude. And it's unfortunate that Embiid is hurt, but that's just how it is. If James Harden is going to beat the Celtics, I don't know. I think we got to have to we're going to have to change the narrative on James because he's shown in this game, this was his best playoff performance ever. <laughs> and that was after game one when I was like, okay, this dude made the timely shots. He demanded the ball. He was aggressive. But in this one, to hit the tying shot, to send it to OT and then hit that game-winning three in the corner, that's that's clutch. That That's really all you can say about it. That's That's clutch. But speaking of that shot, it wasn't like a buzzer beater. So the boss, so the Celtics had another possession to go. And there's a lot of controversy on this one. Joel Mazzula had a timeout to use, or a couple maybe, with about maybe 15 seconds, I think. James hit the three. So you got 15 seconds, you're down by one. They don't call a timeout off the made three. And I just thought that last position took way too long with Smart just kind of nonchalantly dribbling the ball up. Maybe what, four or five seconds goes off the clock, just standing there. Tatum finally catches the ball and then the ball rotates around and it finds its way back to Marcus Smart and he makes the shot. He makes the three, but it was about a second too late. Too late. Too late. So... I don't know. In that situation, I understand. Okay, maybe I, I don't mind the no timeout call. I don't think people should grill Joe Mozilla too much on that. Personally, I would have called a timeout, especially off a made basket because they're going to get set anyway. So why not settle everybody down off a made shot and find either just, you know, get Tatum the ball, get Jalen Brown the ball and get out of the way. Or, you know, you drop a play. But I would have called a timeout in that case, but I wouldn't grill Joe Mazzullo for not calling one. I would grill the Celtics for how they managed that, though, because they were down. So I don't know why they were so nonchalant with their time management. Because you always have to account for a missed shot and at least give yourself a chance. You know, you go with about 10 seconds. If you make the shot, great. You have the lead. Now just buckle down and get a stop. But if at least if you miss, you can foul and extend the game and give yourself another chance. So they didn't do that. And I thought that was poorly managed. They managed it like they were tied. 
going in, you know, worst case, you go into overtime, best case, you win the game. But they're down. You got to have more sense of urgency with the clock and start your action earlier. That was the one thing I didn't like I that agree. last possession. Let me make a quick point to that. So what I was thinking when I saw it right after it happened. So first, the timeout thing, you know, I, I'm with you that I don't hate the no timeout call because you want to let your guys, you know, you trust your guys. You've practiced the situation before. Okay, we're not going to call a timeout here. We're going to let us go down the court. We know what we're what set we're going to get to in the half court. Um, two things that I do wonder, is it, did he not call the timeout for the reason you said? You, you know, you kind of want Philly to not be set, but that doesn't make sense because it was off a made shot. Um, so is it so that they're not set or, you know, that's just kind of what we have been rolling with the whole time. So we're comfortable with that. That That's fine. If, if that's what the thinking is, I don't have a problem with it. Um, but, you know, Philly was able to get set. But, you know, let's go more back to the five guys on the court for the Celtics. Um, yeah, a little bit more urgency in that situation. You know, if the game was tied, this is a completely different conversation because you want to hold the ball for the last shot. You don't want Philly to get another crack at this. But you're down at this point. And you're, you know, taking the ball up the court slowly. And even when you get across half court, it takes you, what, a couple seconds to get into your offense? Mm-hmm. Like, no, yeah. once you cross half court, it's time to go. Because, you know, like you said, off a miss, hey, there's always the chance of a, you know, ball caroms off the rim, offensive rebound, get another putback opportunity up, like you said, right? Or, you know, miss foul and extend the game a little bit. Because you're only down, what, one point at that point, right? One point. So, yep. you know, if you foul uh, early after a miss, it's still only a three-point game. You're still in it to tie, right? So, like you said, doesn't make sense how they approach that situation. And, you know, I was thinking about it after. What were me and you talking about after the Warriors beat the Celtics in that series, right? Late in the game, down the stretch, Marcus Smart was the point guard. And he just didn't really have a grasp of running that offense when it came down to crunch time, right? He was, you know, turning the ball over um, and there wasn't really any facilitators on the floor to kind of control that offense, control guys, get got you know, someone on the floor telling them, Hey guys, we got to go. Um, so, you know, they go out and get Malcolm Brogdon. And so I thought that whole thing was going to change, but I don't think Brogdon was on the floor at that point. Right. Uh, I know he was in foul trouble early, so they pulled him and they had Marcus Smart, they had Derek White on the court instead of Malcolm Brogdon. And I thought, you know, that's why you bring a guy like Malcolm Brogdon in to, you know, be the six man or a point guard in that situation. But it's almost like no one had any sense of urgency. And, you know, even like I would expect Al Horford to be yelling, guys, what are we doing? Let's go. You know, Al Horford being the vet that he is. Maybe he was. I'd ha- I'd probably have to go back and check. But I was just thinking, like, man, the the late game time management there was was poor. I don't know if that's you know also maybe on the coaching staff, like not telling them, hey, let's go, we gotta go now, like let's go. So just a complete lack of execution there. I thought uh, late game crunch time execution by Boston really cost them there. But I mean, the talent is still there. That was just an interesting uh, way for that series to. Or for that game to end in that series. Yep, I I hundred percent agree with that. That was my final uh, caveat there in that. Um, 
Okay. Anyway, that one, that would be interesting. I'll go Sixers in, in seven. That That's going to be my new pick because of, and we're going to change the narrative on the beard. The beard will now be known as a clutch player after this series, at least for, for, for the moment. I am so. cheering for the Sixers in a way. I kind of want to see James Harden do well for once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. Let's uh, wrap up basketball, though. Last series, we got to get to Knicks and Heat. Uh, you know, kind of what we expected. A lot of, a lot of tough hustle plays being made. A lot of good defense. Not a lot of high scoring games, <laughs> no. right? Not at all. But to me, Matt, I don't know. It's the lack of offense from the Knicks. It. it I think. You know, Spolstra and Miami has really done something to figure out how to stop them offensively. I know Jalen Brunson is still, you know, carrying his his load. Uh, he had 32 points tonight. RJ Barrett, 24. And Julius Randle, who has not been playing well throughout the series, you know, dropped 20 points today. But I think you're going to need a little bit more from, from those guys if that's who you're going to roll with. And uh, just a little bit more production out of, you know, your all-stars, you know, guys like Julius Randle and uh, maybe not Jalen Brunson, but, you know, guys like RJ Barrett to really step up. I know he had a good game today, but um, against this Heat team, you're going to you're going to need guys to step up, especially, you know, when you play guys like Jimmy Butler. And the the depth that Miami has, I thought, really came out uh, or is, is showing itself in this series i mean cody zeller's giving them minutes a guy i have been high on yeah a guy i have been high on uh caleb martin throughout this year this season because i had him as a late round fantasy draft pick and solely because i knew i took him i know like i had been following him the whole year and he had a had a good year for miami um he's still athletic you know a lot of people know him for the dunks and and all that type of stuff, but he he can knock down shots, and he's been a good three point shooter for them in this this series. I went two for five today, had a big big dunk today uh, over two two Knicks, gave them a lot of momentum. But to me, um, I don't know. It seems like New York is kind of out of it. Julius Randle is saying stuff like they're not. Like they don't want it enough. They he's want it. Maybe they want it more than maybe us. they want it more. Like I what? don't know if that's I don't know if that's something he's saying to try to get your team fired up, you know. But you say that in the locker room, right? You don't say that out, uh, you know, post game in the press conference. And so, to me, I think Miami has figured out the Knicks, and I think this game is done. Next game, I even in New York, I think so. it's cooked. Uh, you know, Jimmy only had only had 27 points tonight, right? <laughs> it's relatively low for him. So, or at least for playoff Jimmy, that that's a that's pretty low. But you know, playoff Jimmy had 10 assists, so he's still still finding ways to be uh to contribute on offense. And yeah, I don't know. Miami is just playing really good basketball right now. But you know, gotta give credit to Bam tonight. We we kind of been speaking. Hey, we need. Someone to help out Jimmy. Someone's going to have to step up and help out Jimmy. Whether it's Kyle Lowry, whether it's Bam, whether it's guys like Gabe Vincent, Max Struess. Um, but, you know, we saw 
a good Bam tonight. He was aggressive. He or sorry, not tonight. Um. Oh no, no, no. It was today. Yeah, tonight. Yeah, they yeah. played tonight. Um. He was aggressive. You know, got got to his shots, and I mean, if you, Bam can give you twenty plus, that's that's the All Star Bam you need. Because you know he, what he's going to give you defensively, night in and night out. That's not going to be a question. But we need that all-star Bam Adebayo to be providing you know, offense and shouldering some of that from Jimmy so he doesn't have to go Superman every single game, you know, 40-point games. So I thought that's really good. It, that's going to be huge, man, for Miami moving forward if they get consistent offensive production out of Bam. Uh, yeah, I think, I think they can take it all the way to the finals. Um, that maybe they're my new pick. They might be the new pick in the East. So um, I definitely have them, you know, finishing the Knicks next game. Unless Jalen Brunson goes for 50, I think uh, I think the Knicks are cooked. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that one there. I think, you know, the only game that the Knicks won was with Jimmy Butler not playing. So And it was still close. Yeah, it was down to the wire too. So I think Miami is the experience is kind of showing a little bit. The Knicks, they're they're just not ready for the for the moment, I think. And they went up against the Cavalier team in the first round that had really no experience as well outside of Donovan Mitchell and Karis Levert. But they kind of stunk it up even worse. <laughs> so it was a kind of a easy win for the for the Knicks in that series, but I would be a little concerned. Just you know, not even for the game. Actually, yeah, we can talk about the game too. But Julius Randle for an All Star, it just does not seem like he's having like impactful points. Like I like you walk at his, you look at his stats. He was eight of thirteen. Pretty. That's an efficient shooting night. One for four from three, eh, could have been better. But eight for 13, if you look at the stats, that's very efficient. But watching the game, it just doesn't seem like his points were just like taking the soul out of Miami, you know? like It wasn't like he was taking over the game, kind of. It doesn't have that effect. And for an all-star caliber player, and who is one of the veterans on this team, you you got to be better. And I know... Shaq, Charles Barkley, they talk about this on Inside the NBA. They're saying if you average, say, 25 points, and I think Randall averages about 26. In the playoffs, you should be averaging higher than your regular season scoring average because the intensity, the adrenaline, and you know, you're conserving in the regular season. But this is the playoffs. You ele- Stars elevate their game in the playoffs. So Julius Randle, he can't be averaging 20 points a game. I think he needs to be maybe temper the expectations a little bit, but 25 to 30 points a game consistently, if they're going to have a shot at extending this series, he has to be much more dominant and imposing, especially inside. I hate when Julius Randle shoots outside. He's not the greatest three-point shooter. Like, get your butt in the paint. (laughs) But Brunson needs help. He needs a lot of help. In this case, but call me crazy. But do you think I don't know? Maybe the Knicks should play Derrick Rose. He is on the team. But they got to do something. I don't they, know. Just Something's something. You're desperate now. You're facing elimination and you're struggling to score. 
So you can't hurt at this point. So why not use Derek Rose to to spell Brunson for five, 10 minutes a game? He might be able to give you a burst and he's definitely going to hype the crowd up, especially at home. So play to that excitement. Let's see Derek Rose a little bit. If I'm Thibodeau, that was his guy too. So I don't know why, why he's in the doghouse right now <laughs> as a postseason vet, but Miami, I think the key is like we touched on it. Bam. If Bam gives you 20, they're going to control this series. I think, and I, I, they should win in five or six for sure. But Kyle Lowry is a very underrated player right now. He's coming off the bench, a longtime starter and champ with the Toronto Raptors. But his presence is definitely being felt because he's the closing point guard. He's not starting the games. Jimmy's kind of, you know, taking that over. But Kyle Lowry as the closing guard off the bench really allows, I think, Jimmy to kind of almost rest a little bit because you don't have to put everything on his shoulders. Lowry knows how to run an offense. He's won a championship and he's just going to make winning plays. He's PJ Tucker-esque in a way where he's kind of a bulldog, bulldog type of player, but he can shoot and he can score (laughs) still at a consistently efficient level. So I think Miami just has a little too much in this series. And I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised Jimmy Butler scores 40 next game <laughs> i really wouldn't to close it out and he's yep. gonna in tell the world that he's yeah in the in the mecca basketball he's gonna put the knicks away it would not shock me at all yep that would not shock me either um yeah i will say you might get what you want though if the heat keep winning you wanted a lakers heat finals yeah but or i sun, wanted sun's heat i, I need them to it, go a little bit longer <laughs> I think I want well hopefully the next series goes seven. Um and like selfishly, the Laker if the Lakers close out Golden State and you know who doesn't matter who they play, Denver or Phoenix, it's gonna be a tough series. So to even get to the finals from there is gonna be hard. But let's say miraculously they do make it. I want that other team to be as tired as possible because the, the Lakers are gonna be tired. Trust me, there are LeBron's already exhausted. Um, so they need to go get their rest. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a lot of basketball talk, Matt. Why don't we uh, wrap up our sports talk with a little bit of baseball? Oh, actually, you know what? Sorry, before baseball, Bronny. Bronny's going to USC. Good for USC. They got they got all the dudes there. They got Bronny. They got Caleb Williams. Uh, I guess USC is just on the come up now because – yeah, football game is going to be packed. And just Bronny alone, he's going to sell out like every game. If, if he plays, like he might not even need to start that, you know, his freshman year. But if he does start and if he does play that freshman year, man, they're going to be like, like he's almost as big as like if LaMelo, remember when Melo was, LaMelo was playing high school basketball? Um, Like if LaMelo played college basketball, he would be, the hands down the biggest name in college basketball. So Bronny's just gonna have a great pull. Good for him. He gets to stay home uh, next to Pops. And maybe it's in the cards that he goes to the Lakers. I don't know. It it could definitely be possible. So well, wait it's possible. A wait a couple he's years. A, he's a lottery pick at this point. They said he's after one year, he could 
potentially be a lottery pick, which would be insane. I think he's gonna be a mid to late round, like first round, late, late first late round. first round pick. I could see that happening. Yeah, and you know the name alone is gonna help him out. So, if we're being honest, yeah. it's, it's gonna help a little bit. That was a perfect decision for him. He gets to stay home. Dad plays in the crypt 15, 10, 15 minutes down the street. And he gets to train. Gets, he gets all the and NIL money uh, by being in LA. I don't, right? I don't think he needs money. That family don't need more money. Well, but... he gets his own money now. He can True. get his own money. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't dad's money anymore. It's his money. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, good for Bronny. I think that's, that's really good for USC basketball as well obviously so good job there um okay bas- baseball Matt. why don't we get to it um how are you feeling about the yankees how are we feeling uh well you know since we last talked not so much has changed still in last we're 10 games back of the Rays. we played them over the weekend and we should have won the series and then we were up by six in the last game with Garrett Cole on the mound, and somehow we lose that game. Just the, the situational hitting is atrocious. <laughs> it's bad. If winning teams and the Rays did this, if you have runners in scoring position, second and third, one out, runner on third, less than two outs, you got to score them. I don't care. I don't care who's batting. I'm not telling you to get a hit. Just be, have a productive at bat. And the Yankees, they don't have productive at-bats, and that's why they're losing this game. Th- these games. I'll give Garrett Cole a pass because he this was his first bad start of the year. He's been outstanding this year, so I'll give him a, a mulligan. But offensively, even with the six runs, you guys still left way too many guys on base. And that would have changed the whole narrative of how I felt going into this pod week. If we, we won the series against the Guardians... Earlier in the week, we could have swept them, but we did beat the Guardians, and we should have beat the Rays. So that would have been a back-to-back series wins going into Oakland now. We did win today, thank goodness. But you got to sweep Oakland. I don't care. We're sweeping Oakland, and then you got to play Tampa again. So they do have a shot if they can take, I would say, a sweep of Oakland, and then if you somehow can win three out of four at home against the Rays, Maybe I'll have a little less concern next week, but I am a little concerned at this point. But at least on the bright side, my captain is coming back Tuesday. So that's tomorrow. We're recording on Monday, but Aaron Judge is back. I hope they DFA Aaron Hicks just for mental sanity around hey, the Yankee community. Today, though, so he, he's, he's sticking around now. You're right. He hit a home run, so he's on the team for the rest of the year. That's just kind of how the Yankees go, but. They just seem to drop and cut the wrong guys. But yeah, I mean, Judge comes back. Bader's back. He's been hitting the ball really well since he's been back. Uh, Stanton comes back, hopefully end of the month in time for me to see him in person. But if we can get healthy, it'll be a lot better. But it's, it just sucks. I'm 10 games back in May. That's just that's way, way too big of a deficit right now. So I'm having a hard time right now in May, believe it or not. At least your team's in first. Yeah, so we'll we'll get over to my team. Dodgers, I'll keep it short. Dodgers playing pretty well. Uh, I mean, I can't really complain. You know, up until this last game, 
we played today. We got smacked around by the Brewers. But we had won. Let's go two, five. So we had won eight of the past nine. We beat the San we beat San Diego, you know, took the series from them after they were talking win. all this stuff. Manny Machado. <laughs> they always do rest. that. <laughs> Manny Machado's gonna rest just to play the Dodgers. Okay, fine. They're showing a crying Kershaw on the board after they beat us the first game. Um but you know, I gotta say the third game that, that we took off them was what I thought um gonna be huge for the Dodgers going forward. That's two out hitting. Uh I'll always talk about two out hitting because of how they played in the bubble, quote unquote bubble, in that World Series run. Uh we had the best two out hitting with runners in scoring position in the whole league. And that really propelled our offense going forward. Um but Mookie man, if that's the clutch Mookie I need to see more often uh and he has been picking it up recently but for him to hit a solo shot off josh Hader in san diego you know two outs with two outs two outs um yeah that's the stuff that i love to see because you could tell that deflated the padres badly and you know 10th inning it's the rookies we have the homegrown talent to go along with the big signings unlike san diego you know they got tatis Right. That's but he didn't even start in their farm system, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. So, you know, all of our, you know, Altman, Bush, we have these guys are like homegrown guys contributing to our team. And it's it's just perfect because I think, well, you know, not so much in baseball as a sport like football, where you need your rookies to produce, you know, on that uh, salary cap number. But it's just good to see guys, uh, young guys stepping up in big situations, picking up the slack. Um, you know, Freddie went 0 for 5 in that game and we still won 5 5 to 2. Um that that's what this team can do moving forward. It's just the pitching if the pitching gets a little bit better. I think Evan Phillips might be the closer now. Uh he has good stuff. He I wouldn't mind be. that. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that at all going forward. I really like what I see out of him. So, yeah, feeling good. I mean, we won eight out of nine. Can't really complain. Uh, had two sweeps in a row. Offense is coming on. You know, that Phillies series, they scored 10 or double-digit runs uh, in all three games. So, man, the offense is grooving and, uh, yeah, feeling good. First place in the West. Can't really complain. Uh, just hope Arizona starts losing. Uh, that's about all I can do right now. So, yeah, I'm I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Uh, to not yeah, be you are. Rest. I will definitely, mm-hmm. I will definitely agree with that. Luckily, not to be in AL East. So, um, <clears throat> all right. Other than that, Matt, I think that's that's a good pod. Uh, why don't you take us home with our sports fact? All right, sports fact of the day for May eighth, our record date. So let's take it to two thousand and ten. The last piece of. The old Yankee Stadium was uh fell that day in the Bronx. That was the end of the two-year demolition of the old Yankee Stadium, which has a lot of memories and a lot of World Series wins in that stadium with a lot of ghosts. But we moved over right across the street to New Yankee Stadium, and that's where the Yankees are playing to this day. 
So a pretty sad day, I would say, in Yankee history. Kind of ironic that the Yankees are in last place, so we should say a sad Yankee fact for this one. But yeah, a sad sports fact for me and a sad Yankee Yankee fanatic here. It's okay, man. It's like I said, it's still not over. It's still only May, so hang in there. Uh, although, yeah, the Yankees need to start picking it up a little bit more. But, uh, 10 games back, 10 games. That's a little too much right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Well, this will be our last pod together for a little bit. Um, hold it down in the next couple of weeks. I will Will do. I'll eat very good in Japan next week. <laughs> so And drink. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. Yeah, eat and drink good. I will definitely take a lot of pictures. <laughs> Send you some stuff while I'm up there. Bring you back something. So, yeah, sounds good. Um, other All right. Than that, Have a good trip, bud. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, everyone, be good to Matt next week when he's uh, uh, hosting it solo. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. As usual, you know, stay safe. Um, have a good week and Matt, we'll see you guys next week.